Parks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. This week on the show, we are discussing a chameleon-inspired color-changing material that's advancing seafood safety and General Mills' acquisition of Tyson Foods' pet treat business. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Xtalks Food Podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, food industry journalist and webinar moderator at xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Aisha Rashid and Mira Nabulsi. Thanks for coming today. So I'm going to start us off with a bit of a food safety topic and really cool advancements that are going on in seafood safety specifically. So I think we're kind of in an age of heightened food safety given the pandemic. Um, People have probably become a little bit more concerned about the safety of their food uh, once it's brought into the household. But a team of scientists from China and Germany have actually designed an artificial material that's inspired by chameleon skin uh, that can detect the freshness of seafood by changing colors. So how does it work? The material uses molecules that are found in crystals called luminogens that change color in response to vapors released by microbes as the fish spoils. So the material can change to different, um, sorry, the material can change color in response to different stimuli and the researchers believe that it is different applications as well uh, in development of anti-counterfeiting technologies and stretchable electronics. So to put the material to the test, one of the researchers at the Chinese Academy of Scientists, he sealed some test strips with the material in boxes at different temperatures with fresh shrimp or fish over the period of around 50 hours. And the strips stored with fish at 10 degrees below Celsius remained unchanged from its original red fluorescent color, which demonstrated that the food was still fresh. And the strips stored with seafood at 30 degrees Celsius changed to a vivid green color, which was indicative of spoilage. So this material is actually not the first artificial material that has designed for seafood safety. Um, Back in October of last year, um, a study published in the journal Food Chemistry highlighted a device that could instantly measure the rate of spoilage in Atlantic salmon. So that one was a little bit more specific, but this material can detect spoilage in a much wider variety of seafood. So it's got a lot more widespread application in seafood safety. So seafood, because of its high water content, sort of is an ideal breeding ground for bacteria that causes foodborne illness and food poisoning. So this is a this can be a huge game changer for seafood safety. It could save a lot of money for the industry, and it could also help reduce food waste and guarantee that products are safe for retailers and consumers. But there's also a lot of money to be made in the seafood safety sector specifically. 
So pretty new market research, a new market research report uh, published last week said that the food safety testing market is worth an estimated $19.5 billion alone this year, um, with a compound annual growth rate of 7.9% um, by 2026. So it's a particularly big sector for meat, poultry, and seafood. Um, they're estimated, those sectors are estimated to account for the largest market share of food safety testing, which makes sense because those are foods that are very susceptible to spoilage. And the report also estimated that rapid testing technology uh, will account for very fast growth in the food safety testing market, um, just due to factors like low turnaround time, high accuracy and sensitivity, and, and ability to test a wide range of contaminants. So I see this new technology as, you know, once it's approved and once it's actually being used, it could definitely be a game changer in seafood safety. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, I'm not a huge seafood eater. Um, maybe I'm just kind of freaked out by fish and I feel like there's a lot of, you know, they swim in oceans that we don't exactly know of, you know, what's in them and they kind of scare me a little bit. But um, I was wondering if, you know, if you had more confirmation that your seafood was fresh or that it wasn't spoiled and that it was safe to eat, would it make you, um, you know, feel more confident in, in, in purchasing it? I think so, for sure. I think this technology, number one, is very innovative and very cool. Uh, it's something I haven't heard about before. Um, and seafood in particular, it definitely is more prone to spoilage. And and it's actually readily detectable um, just by smell in a lot of cases, mm -hmm. right? So it's, yeah, definitely um, something to really be aware of when you are shopping for seafood and you know that's why um, there's such an emphasis on fresh seafood you know the daily catch and things like that when you go to a restaurant so um yeah i think this technology will only help uh in that um for sure and i think it, it you mentioned that it could be applied to other meat products and poultry and things like that is that right and um the thing though i think you said that the food has to be of high water content and i wonder if it could be applied to certain vegetables um you know you have like contamination being a problem with certain leafy greens and things like that right um lettuce or or spinach so i wonder if this could be useful um, for those kinds of things. And I know some vegetables have higher water content than others, so perhaps it could be used for that. But yeah, very cool. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I, I really enjoy seafood, but I do fear it sometimes, just like you, Sydney. I don't know, I'm very specific about where I get my seafood from, uh, what kind of seafood I purchase. It also differs from like restaurant to restaurant, you know. I think this strip is very innovative and I wonder, um, yeah, exactly if it can like, if it translates to other products like meat and chicken, because I think those are also something that people fear in terms of food safety and contamination. Um, but yeah, very innovative. I, I definitely, I feel like this is something that 
I would invest in if it was like a consumer kind of product that I would buy in a supermarket or something just to make sure you know my salmon isn't spoiled or something like that but Actually, I have a question. Um, so how would this work? Would it be um, something that would come from like the producers or is it something that we would have to buy and test ourselves um, as consumers? How does it work? That's a great question. And I don't quite have an answer to you yet. My best, because this is a relatively new uh, creation, this material. So what I'm guessing would happen is that once, once uh, you know, the seafood was caught, um, this test would be used throughout multiple stages of, uh, you know, of the uh, pr- production, I guess, and packaging and after transport. Um, so I'm not quite sure, but I think the application can be used throughout the entire process. Um, and I think it would also be good for seafood beginners if, if there was, you know, eventually some sort of a seal or label that says like this was tested and, you know, is still fresh by a certain date. Um, so I think we're a little bit still early with this and it's very much like in the beginning stages, but it's, it's definitely not the first in terms of these, um, um, more modern and sophisticated food safety, um, devices or materials. I remember writing a few months back, um, MIT developed, um, a food sensor that can detect spoiled or contaminated foods. So I think this um, this can be applied to definitely other foods too, and leafy greens specifically, because you're right, they do have such a high water content, and they're very you know uh, people who consume them can be susceptible to foodborne illness. So yes, uh, sorry that that didn't exactly answer your question because it's still a little bit early on, but yeah, I think this would be good for um, you know just customer assurance that what they're eating is still fresh. Um, but it would also be really cool, you know, as a home device. I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah, it would be cool. Um, and I could see that being, um, you know, a reality once this technology uh, becomes more mainstream and it's actually used in the industry. I was even wondering, you know, thinking about how it could be taken a step further where you can probably just like one day buy these strips and even like test your own food at home. Like if you had a pot of something, I don't know, stew that you made like five days ago, you're like, is this still good? Like, I don't need anything past like two days, but uh, for people that do, I don't know. But yeah, that's, that's a good point. I think, yeah, we, we definitely take a lot of our own personal risks with leftovers and just buying food. And for me, I can't tell if fish just smells like that or if it's spoiled because I know that fresh fish shouldn't have as fishy of a smell, but I, I don't have a discernible, you know, uh, taste for fish to know that. And a lot of consumers probably don't either. So yeah, I think this is just great for, um, customers to be assured that their food is fresh and um, distributors as well to be like held accountable for for their their products. Yeah, I was going to say I came across a company um, in 2020, at the end of 2020, and they had these like real time um, expiry labels on their on uh, to be put on um, products like minced meat and chicken and things like that that you buy at the supermarket that would eliminate food waste but also answering your question Aisha is like finding out when it actually expires because a lot of the things that we do get you know for example says like expiry date was two days ago but it's actually fine you know things like that and things that things are 
are actually expired way earlier, but say will expire in two days, just like fish spoilage and things like that. So yeah, I think there is a lot of technology and innovation in this field. And it's really interesting to see what companies are coming up with to eliminate this idea of food waste or contamination in our foods. Um, but yeah, it's very, very exciting stuff. Yeah, and I think as the technology progresses, the rapid testing is going to be a really big part of it because as of right now, this this new technology, they tested it um, for two days. They put this material, um, you know, in a box for two days and it worked and it showed that, you know, food had spoiled. But I think the real market for it is that rapid testing. I want to know right now, is this food still good and under what circumstances? Um but I guess for the time being, fish cons- seafood consumers just have to store their seafood in the fridge, not leave it out, and hope that at point of purchase, it was still fresh. And use their sense of smell for the time yes. being. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, but with that, Mira, I'll pass it over to you. Okay, awesome. So moving away from, you know, <laughs> human consumers, um, I'm going to be talking about pets. So uh, last week, there was an acquisition of $1.2 billion. Uh, General Mills acquired Tyson Foods pet treat businesses. And that includes their famous um, nudges, top chews and true chew brands. So for a company like General Mills that owns successful companies like Cheerios, Betty Crocker, Pillsbury and more, this may come as a shocking move. But actually in 2018, they entered the pet food business when they acquired Blue Buffalo for $8 billion. And now Blue Buffalo is one of the biggest competitors in the food pet food industry. So Pet Treats uh, portfolio at Tyson Foods make more than $240 million in sales um, in the over 12 months of last year. And as part of the acquisition, General Mills will also have um, ownership of manufacturing facilities in Iowa, which will give them full access to the production lines of these pet treats. Um, So the General Mills Group president of pet segment, Bethany Quam, says that pet food is a high growth category fueled by humanization of pets, a trend that has only increased during the pandemic. By adding these trusted pet treat products to their portfolio, um, they are strengthening their position in this attractive category and the acquisition is highly complementary to their existing business, combining Blue's leading position in natural pet food with Nudges, Top Chews, and True Chews. So earlier this month, actually, Nudges released two new products to their line of meat treats for dogs. And these two new products include a long-lasting jerky bone chew and a natural beef jerky treat for small breed dogs. Uh, the senior brand manager at Nudges says when pet parrots are searching for treats for their dogs, they want to ensure that they have a high quality and made with the finest ingredients products. And this is why the global pet treats market is... Um, predicted to reach $72.6 billion by 2027. Uh, During the pandemic, the pet treat market grew drastically um, and has now a growing and is now growing at a compound annual growth rate of 19.1% over the forecasted period of 2020 to 2027. So knowing this information, uh, was this acquisition done by General Mills a good idea. What are your thoughts on that? And do you actually know how much is spent 
on pet products yearly. I'm curious to know your thoughts on that. <laughs> okay, so do you know on average in the US, a pet owner, a dog pet owner can spend between $1,500 to $9,900 on their dogs. And this includes, you know, toys, foods, treats, beds, leashes, collars, grooming, veterinary care, you know, medication, training classes, dog walking, pet sitting. There is so much in this category and I'm guilty under all of these. <laughs> I'm a pet owner myself and I spend a lot of money on her and looking for brands just like the ones General Mills acquired. So yeah, what what are your thoughts on this acquisition? I think it came at a very smart time because I know that pet ownership has increased over the pandemic with more people staying at home and being feeling like they're able to have a pet and train them and be near them more. So I think this was a really smart move um, on their part. I just wonder if um, this increased trend of pet ownership will you know, be, will be long lasting. Um, or if people will, you know, once people start going back to work, um, not many people buying pets potentially, uh, you know, might lower that market. Although it doesn't seem like dog or cat or any other pet ownership is going down anytime soon. So yeah, I think this timing was, was, was great. Maybe even could have been a little bit earlier actually. Yeah, I don't know. Even pre-pandemic, I feel like the trend of like pet ownership was on the rise. I don't know if there's any data on that, but um, anecdotally, I can I can tell that I know quite a few people in you know recent years who have gotten pets. I personally don't have a pet, but um, just hearing those expenses, I'm, I'm kind of glad maybe that I don't, <laughs> even if I uh, might you know, someday in the future. But um, yeah, I think this is a brilliant move on the part of General Mills. And yeah, I grew up on like Cheerios, Honey Nut Cheerios. <laughs> so like, it's like such an, you know, house, it's been a household, you know, nostalgic brand for me. And yeah, to it's kind of for, it was kind of odd when you first said that they're, you know, venturing into like the pet food market, but it makes total sense. I mean, um, companies are really dabbling into all sorts of things. And um, it makes sense for a cereal, a big cereal brand to be, you know, going into pet food, which I'm not sure what the technology is to, to make pet food, but it kind of sort of seems similar. I don't know, maybe that's just my naive thinking, but cereal versus because they're both kind of dried based yeah. and things like that. So yeah. Yeah. No. The, so the companies that they acquired are um, natural dog treats. Um, so they don't have any rawhide in them. They're made with meats. Um, so typically not really close to human food, but close to human food in the sense that it's all natural. Um, I actually bu buy blue buffalo for my dog. Um, and I didn't know this from that General Mills own them because I believe that their, you know, their ingredients and the way that they approach pet food was something that I resonated with which is why we've been uh, supporting them since I bought my dog two years ago but here's another interesting stat that I came across um, I'm just gonna ask you guys but how many households in the U.S. do you think own a dog just give me a random number <laughs> like a percentage or like no like in the millions like if you were to give me a number what would that be well what's the population of the u.s like 330 million so of that like if it's half i'd say 60 percent. so what okay what, what's that 
Okay, I was going to say around like 115 million. That's my guess. Okay, well, okay, we're a bit too optimistic. But in 2019 to 2020, a survey was done and 63.4 million people owned a dog. 42.7 million people owned a cat. And then uh, 11.5 million people own freshwater fish. (laughs) So yeah, interesting. But yeah, 63.4 million people owned a dog in 2019 to 2020. And dogs on average last around, let's say around 15 years. So for 15 years from the start of the pandemic you know onwards they will be purchasing treats and food and things like this so I think this came at a very perfect time and they've got a huge market to sell to so yeah I just thought that was a very interesting move on behalf of General Mills and I think I think they're only going to grow their portfolio from now rather than you know try to switch to any other market. Yeah, and General Mills, like you were saying, is such a trusted brand. Like, oh, I don't, I, who didn't grow up on on eating Cheerios? And I think dog owners, you know, want the best for their dogs too. So um, I think this is a really cool move. And we often forget that pet food is still food. So it, you know, I, I almost trust it more that it's being now it's being acquired by a, a very trusted food company. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, that is the end of this episode of the X Talks Food Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the X Talks Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media. Email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalk.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.